0: It's really good to see you this morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures or your device, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in just a a moment. And uh, so uh, you can find that. We started a new series last week. We're calling The Breath of God, and it's on the Holy Spirit. And I firmly believe that the answers uh, that we're looking for as a nation, as a world, as individuals, if we would pursue hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God, we would find answers. I, I promise you that. And the Holy Spirit is so key in that. I, as I said last week, I grew up in church. I I jokingly say I probably learned to sin at church. Uh, it was one of those things that uh, we would be there Sunday morning, Sunday night, most Wednesday nights, and training unions, Sunday school, uh, GAs, RAs. The, I'm going back for for some of you, and uh, we would be there, and I. I've always been a competitive person. It's just something in me, especially when there's guys and girls involved and the guys are going against the girls, uh, something about that. So uh, I I remember our Sunday school teacher uh, as kids would do something that they call a sword drill. Now, Some of you uh, are new to Christ or new to the church, and you're thinking, man, what a radical church to have sword drills. Uh, But for you that I'm going to explain to you what a sword drill was. Sword drill, you would have your Bible, and uh, the teacher would have everybody stand up across the room and if you had a child that didn't bring a Bible, they'd have extra Bibles, just like our Lost and Found is full of Bibles. I know some of you aren't having a quiet time right now. And, uh, but they, you would stand there, and they would say, uh, stand it ready, basically, and you would put your sword to your side. And then they would say, draw swords. And you would take your Bible and, and hold it in front of you. And then the teacher would give you a, uh, a scripture reference and, and, uh, and you would jump into there. So uh, she might say something like Romans 8 uh, and ready and you're standing there, but you couldn't go till she said go and she would say go and uh, you would uh, open your Bible. I didn't do it, Tim. Uh, and the first service, I, I, I kid you not. Uh, I have witnesses here. Uh, I said, Mark 16. Say, she says Mark 16. I opened my Bible to Mark 16, and I promise you I did not have uh, Mark. But I didn't say Mark 16. I meant to say Matthew 1. And uh, <laughs> I just missed it, Dave. Uh, but she would say, whatever, Matthew 1, and you would flip open your Bible, and you would want to be the first, and then you would take it and mark it and step forward, and, and she'd wait for others to find it to step forward, and uh, and then she would call on you, especially if you were first, to read it. So, Uh, to verify that you found the right verse and that you weren't... Because once you stepped out, you couldn't flip any more pages. You had to do it. And you'd read it, and uh, and that would be uh, good. Every now and then, the teacher would uh, jump into something like Habakkuk, and uh, before I dig in, I have to hit the table of contents uh, to get there I don't know how they do them on devices today I mean you hold up your phone and uh, and whatever but she would throw us off every now and then by having us uh, 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 turn to Hezekiah or something like that and Hezekiah's not a, a book in the Bible for you that uh, we're looking it up all of a sudden it it wasn't in there and she would try to throw us off, but some of yahoo would step forward anyway uh, uh, like he had it. But sword drills taught me a couple of things. Well, number one, it taught me the books of the Bible and how to navigate the scriptures. That was a, a good thing to be able to do that. Uh, I know that kids, uh, my uh, son uh learned the books of the bible through a uh, uh a cassette tape called Rappin' Rabbit any of you know who Rappin' rabbit is uh yeah uh he learned through that uh I think it was sinful to have a rabbit rapping but uh but he learned the books of the bible through that um uh and but it taught me the value of the word of God. Number two, it taught me to cherish the Bible. Uh, I, I knew the Bible was something special and uh, when I would turn into it, I, I would learn to cherish it. I, I would bring it with me. I didn't want to not have it. I, I would uh, just knew it was a, a special book and I, I didn't know completely right. And so it taught me uh, how to cherish the Bible. I thought about a a Jewish child growing up in biblical times. That Jewish child from birth would be taught the sacred writings, uh, taught the scriptures. In fact, they would memorize the first five books that Moses wrote in the scriptures. I mean, memorize them so they would know the first five books and... And I read that one of the things they would do for a child from infancy is they would take a scroll and they would put honey on it. And uh, it would be a scroll of the, uh, the law, the scriptures, and they would put honey on it and allow that little one to lick, just symbolizing that the uh, scriptures are life and sweetness of that. And so uh, those... Little ones would learn the vital, uh, how vital, more vital than food. Uh, But I also grew up in a day where uh, the Bible, when you would look at your Bible, and it says on the binder here, Holy Bible. It didn't just say the Bible, it would say Holy Bible. And why would it say Holy. The word Bible, Biblos, means basically book or library. And there are 66 books in this library. And it would say, holy. What does the word holy mean? It means set apart. It means anointed. It means separate from other books. So right on the spine or on the front, it would say, holy Bible. This is set apart. This is anointed. This is... God's word, there is no other book like it. I, I would learn that from childhood, that it was holy. And, you know, very few things are said to be holy. Uh, holy Bible, holy matrimony. You remember when we used to use that word, holy matrimony, set apart. There is no other relationship as as intimate as between a man and a wife in a holy matrimony. That's what it would be called, the Holy Spirit. Why not just the Spirit? Holy Spirit. He's set apart. There is no other like him. And that would be what the Bible is. It's set apart. There is no other like him. And why is the Bible Holy! I mean, isn't it just paper and ink? And mine's leather. And you get a hardback or paperback. Isn't it just paper and ink? Wasn't it written by common people? I mean, fishermen, uh, shepherds. Uh, yes, some kings, some prophets. But wasn't it written by ordinary people? In fact, it was written by forty different people over a 1,500-year span. And uh, we're talking about 66 books, uh, uh, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. Most of it's letters in the New Testament. But wasn't this just a common book? I mean, common people that were doing it. And I want you to know, and this is what I want you to grab today, The Holy Spirit is the author of this book, okay? God himself, God's word, it's God breathed, okay? Let's look at 2 Timothy and what this says. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 and and following. Remember, this is a letter that, Paul wrote to his disciple, Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet for them all, the Lord, from them all, the Lord rescued me. He drew me out from this persecution. Verse 12. Verse 12, let me, it ought to come with a warning. Because many people just don't believe it. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We don't like that. We don't like that. But it's there. It's truthful. If you're going to live a godly life, a righteous, consistent life in Christ Jesus, you will come under some kind of persecution. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being uh, being deceived. In other words, they're going to lead people astray. Verse 14. But as for you, this is challenge to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believe knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, Is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It says that all scripture is God breathed. Remember, I told you last week. There are two words in the scriptures for spirit. Uh, and one is ruach in the Old Testament, Hebrew. It means breath or wind. And Numa in the New Testament means breath or wind. What this scripture tells us is that the scripture, the very scripture is God breathed. The Holy Spirit is the author, okay? And notice, I want to, I want to make this point. It says all Scripture. Literally, it means every Scripture is God-breathed. So you can't pull it out and say, oh, that's not that big a deal. Let me tell you, God had a reason for that being there, and it's been breathed out by him. Were were these guys robots? I I don't think they were in some hypnotic trance and God just took over their hand and they started writing because we see different personalities in the writing. We know there's a difference between the letters Paul wrote and John wrote and Peter wrote. Their, their personalities are used. Moses wrote much of the uh, Old Testament. David wrote some. He used their personalities. He used the way they were and they they were Indwelt by the Spirit of God, and God enabled them through their thoughts, through His messaging, to be able to write down the Scripture. It says in Second Peter 1:21, it says, "For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." Okay. You need to hear that. You need to grasp that. The Bible is not like every other book. It is God's word, and it's there for us. So, the scriptures is literally the manual, owner's manual from God for us. You know, when you get your new car in your glove box, you've got that owner's manual now. You don't read it. Now, I know there's some engineers in here and they read it. I don't read it until I get a light that says, check engine. And then I check it out. But but this book, this Bible is the manual for us. And not only the manual, but it comes from our heavenly Father to us. You know... um, Many people, many men and women have been in combat and they've been deployed whether they were in combat or not, they were deployed. they're away from home and they would be away from home. Now we live in a different different day today because of email, but it used to be you would long to get a letter from home, whether you're a spouse or whether you're mom or dad or from uh, your children. You would long for that letter. And when a soldier would get that letter, he would cherish it. He would open it up and he would read every word because it, he was in battle. He was in a foreign land. And this came from home, from a loved one. And he would read it and take it in. And it would be incredible, uh, incredibly precious to him. Another soldier would, would not be excited about that because it wasn't him from a loved one that he knew, but it was for his partner. I want you to know that the scriptures are from our home. That We're not at home here. We, we become very much at home here, but there is a place for us. I, I realize there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, but this is not our home. And this is a manual, it's a love letter from our home, from our Heavenly Father, by means of the Holy Spirit to us. And that's what it is. So, why the Holy Scriptures? Why did God choose to give us the Scriptures? I mean, why? Why not just write it in the sky? Why not just do this? He gave us the scriptures. I want to give you some reasons why he gave us the holy scriptures. Number one, it's to make us wise unto salvation. That's what the scripture says. It's to make us wise unto salvation. Many people read the Bible for different reasons. Some read it for information. They, In other words, almost the trivia part of it. You know, Trivial Pursuit did a a great job in wanting us to learn trivia. So we will learn Genesis to Revelation, and we will learn the facts. In other words, somebody ask us a question, I've got the information to give back to you. Um, But I want you to know the scriptures were not primarily given to us for information. yeah you can read it and get information. There's a, a parable out there called the Prince of Grenada. Uh, I've, I've I always want to look up the truth uh, on certain things and uh, so we don't know completely if this is a true story but it's a good one and uh, I'm going to use it and uh, but it goes something like this the Prince of Grenada Grenada had a coup. And the prince was uh, captured and he was put in a rotten jail cell. And he was given just one thing for life he was given a copy of the scriptures. Eventually, he got sick, he passed away. And everybody thought, I wanna, I wanna just know did he leave any notes or anything about the scriptures? Spending, that's all he had. He had to be uh, changed. So they went into his cell and he had taken a nail and he had etched in the rock certain things. He said, first of all, the eighth verse of the 97th Psalm is the middle verse of the Bible. Ezra 721 contains every letter of the alphabet except the letter J. The ninth verse of the eighth chapter of Esther is the longest verse in the Bible, and no word or name of more than six syllables can be found anywhere in the Bible. Over a 38-year period until he passed away, all he had were trivia. I, I love that you're in Bible studies. I love uh, that you're in things but we got to be careful about approaching the Word of God just as a fact-finding information book. Yes, the second reason that people read the Bible is for inspiration. Uh, you read the great stories. You read about David and Goliath and you can't help but get inspired. You, you read about Paul. You read about Peter. You read about the life of Jesus and you get inspired and inspired. And that's okay, but I want you to know the Bible was not written primarily to inspire. A third reason that people read the Bible is for motivation, right? Motivation. Uh, Zig Ziglar, motivate you. And uh, I I think about, I, I love high school football, and I just wonder how many teams Friday night knelt in their locker room, held hands, and said the Lord's Prayer. They said it something like that. Oh brother, I mean they're they're just but it's firing them up, man. They're motivated. And uh how many people have taken Philippians 413 much out of context? And they and it says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, we we can do it. I can do all things. they seemed to fail to realize Paul was in prison when he wrote that. He was under extreme persecution and he wrote that. But yet we're motivated by that. Or Jeremiah 29:11, we love that verse. Uh, we take it out of context uh, so often. But it, 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 Jeremiah 2011, I know the plans I have for you, a plans to prosper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they, what about everybody else that's not prospering? Does that mean God doesn't have a plan? In fact, that was written because the people of Israel were in exile. So we got to be careful about doing bumper sticker uh, verses. and And they read it for motivation though. But I don't mind you reading for information. I don't mind you reading for inspiration or motivation. But I want you to know the scriptures were written and given to us as a revelation from God to man. Okay? They're a revelation of God's redemptive plan for mankind. We start at the beginning. It doesn't tell us how God created, it tells us why he created. He created man and man was in his own image and man fell. And this group of people he chose, the children of Israel, they eventually were kept in slavery and then they were delivered out of slavery. And And what eventually happened is Jesus came out of that lineage. Jesus, the Savior of all mankind. He went to a cross. He rose from the dead. He's provided his Holy Spirit for all of mankind. So the the scriptures are not information and not motivation, not inspiration, but they're a revelation from God. So when you read the scriptures... Always know that you're seeing the revelation of God. Thought, I want you to grab this. I don't apologize for what I'm about to say. We must be careful that we do not worship the book. I love Bible studies. Beth Moore, Jen Wilkins, Charles Stanley. Uh, Charles Swindoll, they've all done incredible Bible study books. But we have to be incredibly careful to not worship the book, but the one who is revealed to us and the author and writer of the book. Okay? Okay? Paul instructs Timothy to remain so that he may understand, he may have the faith for salvation. So that's one reason. Number two reason that God gave us the Bible is for beneficial for teaching, giving us instruction and direction for living out your life, that manual for life. Um, It's beneficial for teaching. The Spirit in who indwells you as a follower of Christ takes the Word of God and instructs you on that. Um, many of you, as kids, sang B I B L E. Yes, that's the book for me, and and you sang that song. But how many of you have ever heard that B I B L E is a, an acrostic for? basic instructions before leaving earth. And that's what it is. The scriptures are there to teach us to grow and we're becoming like Christ as we grow. So that's number two. Number three, it's beneficial for reproof. Reproof is not a word we use very much. It's it's in the ESV that I read to you today. But it's beneficial for reproof. What does reproof mean? If this means conviction of an error, so the Holy Spirit uses His book to convict us when we've uh, committed sin or an error that we've done. And God's desire is for you to be holy and righteous. His desire is for the character and the service of Jesus to become evident in your life, okay? So when we're reproved, we're reproved for our own good because God is at work in us. So when you see, uh, you hear the Spirit bring conviction to your life in an area where you're not there, He's doing it for your good. And... Uh, it's like this, it's like the scriptures, when you read the scriptures, oftentimes it's like a mirror being put up in front of you. And that mirror is there, and you look in that mirror, and you start to see some things that are similar to uh, Jesus, but you often see things that are not, and these are, uh, these conviction comes in. And that brings us to the next one, beneficial for correction it's to restore to right fellowship and living praise god we are left to wonder or wander uh we can come back the scriptures are the map and the compass to get us back uh, where we need to be on the right path um gps most of us have gps today on our phones or in our cars and GPS, you remember when GPS finally uh, first came out, you would miss a turn, and then it would say recalculating. You just uh, you just wanted to smash it, and and uh, but the GPS part of its role is to keep you on the right path, and the scriptures bring a correction for you to stay on. The right path. The problem is we don't usually go to God's word when we wander. And the Holy Spirit will have to use other avenues to get our attention, but the scriptures are there beneficial for correction. One more it's beneficial for training. Training. Uh, right now, football season, everybody is training. They're, they're, uh, they've started playing, but they continue to train. They do weightlifting. They do running. They do blocking. They do tackling. They do these things beneficial for training. In fact, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in his first letter, and he said this. He said, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Good teaching. Verse 7, Have nothing to do with reverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness. The scriptures are there to help train you. Yes, it is a manual to help you train. There's a reason that a disciple, the word disciple comes from the word discipline. There's a discipline. And um, once again, we need the Holy Spirit to even increase our appetite. At least I do. I, I here, here's a confession. I leak, man. I I want to be filled with God's Spirit, but I I just leak, and uh, I I think uh, I want to make sure on Sunday morning I'm filled up. But good night. I I just leak and I wander and I need. God to help me, train me. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal in why he wants to do these things? And notice what it says in uh, verse 17. He says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That the, the, the man of God, the believer, the follower of Christ may be complete. The word complete there actually is the word perfect, whole, uh, a mature. N- nothing frustrates me more than a believer, even my own life. When I'm walking in the flesh, I, I, I just need to apologize to the world. And sometimes there's believers that are walking just, they're living their life out just like the world, and you want to say, hey, world, we're sorry. That's not our Jesus. But the, the big deal of the scriptures is that you may be complete. And then he says this, that the man of God will be equipped for every good work. Literally, that means fitted out. If you're uh, your, your car, you're fitting it out, you're getting your tackle to go fishing, this is everything you need. It equips you for every good work. So the scriptures are there to fit you for salvation, bring you and reveal Jesus to you. It's there to uh, to convict you and correct you and reprove you and teach you and train you. It's there. So that why? You may grow up. You may grow up into salvation and be mature and complete. And this is all a work of the Holy Spirit. I want to ask the uh, worship team to come back up here and I want to make I want to land this plane, so to speak. There are two words for word in the Greek language. And, and please, I'm not a Greek scholar. But I know there's two words for, for word. One is the word logos. Logos would be uh, the word an the expression, the written word. Uh, it would be an expression that I have. These are my notes. I, My notes are my expression, and I'm sharing that expression with you. The Bible is an expression. It's the logos that is there. In fact, John chapter 1, uh, it says something kind of weird. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God and that's uh, that just doesn't make sense but when you understand that the word there is logos that from the beginning the expression of God Jesus has been there since the beginning he was with God and he is God and so that makes sense but the logos is the printed word uh There's nothing mystical about it. It's just the printed word. However, there's another word for word, and it's the word rhema, uh, R-H-E-M-A. It's a Greek word. Uh, There will be no test uh, on this. You don't have to know it to get into heaven. How about that? But the word rhema uh, refers to a spoken or written word an utterance that is personal. In other words, when you're reading something and uh, it's just, you're reading the logos, reading the logos, and then all of a sudden, something from where you're walking right now is very personal, that becomes a rhema word. Okay, here's where I'm going this. When you read the scriptures... Most of the time, it's just logos. You're just reading along, reading along, and you're reading about uh, the expression of God. Yeah, you can learn from that. But then all of a sudden, there's this nudging that you feel. Go back and read that again. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but I have felt it. Go back and read that again. And then all of a sudden, it's like... uh, the font has been bold-typed bold, bold typed all of a sudden. And you read that, and it's a personal word for you about what you're specifically going through at that moment. I, I would not be sitting here today proclaiming God's word if it wasn't for Rama that came to me. It, it came as I was reading the first chapter of Jeremiah. I was just reading the scriptures, but I was wrestling in my spirit about this calling to ministry, the calling to follow Jesus and serve him. But I was young. I was making excuses. And I was reading that. Uh, Jeremiah had the same excuses. He said, I'm just a youth. I, I can't do this. And I was thinking, man, Jeremiah, you're right there. And then God said this. To Jeremiah, don't say I'm just a youth. You'll go where I command you to go and you will speak what I tell you to speak. And all of a sudden, I felt this incredible nudging to go back and read that again. And all of a sudden, that personal word for Jeremiah was a rhema for me. And listen, I've had others since. And uh, hear me. You need a systematic way in the Scriptures. Don't pick and peck. Don't just say, oh, this is going to be a quiet time today. Uh, that's, that, that's not good. Uh, have a systematic way in the Scriptures. The Scriptures don't change. You change. Yes. And so what you read last year may it be different for you this year. It may be a rhema that God says, Listen, this is what I have for you today. Maybe you're going through unforgiveness or you're going through a lean time. Maybe you're going through health issues, maybe financial issues, and and you, you start reading, and all of a sudden something jumps out at you. That's the Holy Spirit using a rhema word to speak to you. He can speak to you through all 66 books, but it's really cool when he jumps off the pages at you. I'll end with this thought. Apollo 11 took off in 1969. Apollo 11, they said over 7 million people viewed the launch of Apollo 11. What's the big deal? It's because we were going to the moon, not only to the moon, but we're going to land on the moon. We're going to put men on the moon, and that's what happened in 1969. Seven million people were there for the launch of Apollo 11. A year later, Apollo 13... Went up. Now I know somebody's going to see. I, I saw the movie. A year later, Apollo 13, 20,000 people watched the launch. Why, why the difference? Why 7 million and then 20,000? I mean, that sounds like a drop in the bucket compared to 7 million. It's because we had been to the moon. You know, that's yesterday's news, right? That's yesterday's news. Uh, so what's the big deal? What, what are you going to do for me today? I think the church in America needs a, I'm going to say, we need a moon landing. We need to return to the awe of God. We need to approach his word with holiness and reverence because the very spirit of God, who is the author, lives in us and speaks to us if we're willing to open it. We need that kind of shock to our system. We're going to enter into our time of just reflection, I have two questions for you today. And I want you to think about these. Question number one is this. What are you doing without the Holy Spirit? I mean, are you just fleshing your life out? Uh, You're just living it out the best way you know how? A.W. Tozer said that If the Holy Spirit were to remove himself from some churches, it would be months before they knew it. I wonder about our lives as followers of Jesus. Are we just walking out? We have a code of conduct and that's it? What are you doing in your life without the Holy Spirit? And then the second question is this. What is the Holy Spirit doing without you? Is he moving and you're just oblivious? Or maybe he has put you in a certain place at a certain time to do an incredible work for him.